the South and the women at the North all talking about rights, the white men be in a fix pretty soon. But what's all this talking about? That man over there, that man say that women need to be helped into carriages and lifted over ditches and have the very best place ever were. Nobody ever helped me in a carriage or over mud puddles or give me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at me. Look at my arms. I have plowed and planted and gathered in the barns. I can, no man can hit me. And ain't I a woman? I can eat as much as a man. I can work as hard as a man. Eat as much when I can get it. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children. And I've seen most all of them sold off to slavery. And when I cried out in my mama's grief, was nobody heard me. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Shay. I am so happy to be back with another episode of Proverbs and Politics. And I'm so happy you are tuning in. I hope you all are having a great day. And I hope you all have been having a great week so far. So we're going to jump right into it. As you can tell, this week's topic is about misogyny. So this is all about women, our place in the church, our place in the world, and we're connecting the supernatural um to that aspect to that aspect of a social problem um or a social standard in the world. The title of this episode is called Misogyny, one of the favorite sons of Satan. So you may think that that title is a little bit extreme, it's a little excessive, Shay, is that really necessary? But yes, it is very necessary. Um, And we're going to talk about it. It may get a little emotional. I may get a little loud. There may be some bars dropped. But I want you guys to stick stick in it with me. And we're going to get to the bottom of this. So as we dive into this next segment, well, this first segment... What is misogyny and why is it relevant to the believer? If you were one of those people who got a little weirded out uh, by the title, then this segment is dedicated to you because misogyny is of Satan. It is satanic. It is demonic. And it is disgusting in the eyes of God. I just wanted to get that out there. Let's just start at that point. The... Definition of misogyny is a dislike, contempt for, or ingrained prejudice against women. So why are we talking about this as believers? What relevance does this have? Isn't misogyny just another word that's used currently to talk about um, intersectionality politics? Because it is a buzzword used. We've heard feminists use it. We've heard womanists use it. So how can something that we only recognize used in the world be applicable to the believers 
First of all, it is important to understand the function and the creation of women because women are important to God and because women were created in the image of God because we're all created in the image of God. More specifically, we're created um, in God the Holy Ghost. We are created parallel um, in his function. So therefore, it is important that we dissect and we talk about why women go through the things that they go through and that we need and we have to recognize the root of it. In Genesis 2 and 18, God says, then the, well, excuse me, Genesis 2 and 18 says, then the Lord God says, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. What is the Holy Spirit? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit is a helper. When Jesus ascended and he left to go into heaven after his 40 days up, after his 40 days, um, after his resurrection, we know that he sent the Holy Spirit. There's a saying that says the Holy Spirit is so important that Jesus had to leave so he could come. The Holy Spirit, like it says, is our helper, is our comfort. Um, he gives us the power to walk out this daily life as a Christian. Um, and it's also important to know that women were never intended, God never created women in mind uh with the intention to make us play back burners and back roles for destiny or purpose or for us to play a back role in the world so with all that being said um god has a plan for woman yes woman was created as a helper to man but that does not negate her worth or value nor is that an indicator uh, of her lesser worth? But it's actually an indication that she is of a worth that maybe we have not tapped into or we have no understanding of yet. Because remember, the Holy Spirit has always been around. The Holy Spirit, when it refers to Ruach in the Old Testament, uh, we may not have necessarily heard the term Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost until the New Testament, but he has always been here. And so we understand and through that we can see the importance of the role of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, we need to be able to see the role of a woman and woman in her entire being as important. Why? Because once again, she is made specifically in the image of God, but more especially in the image of the Holy Ghost. So therefore, what does that tell you? That misogyny, that the hatred of women, that this toxic masculinity thing, uh, that all of these must be not the plan of God, but that it is the plan of the, of the enemy, of Satan. Um, and let's be clear, Satan hates women. Satan hates women. He hates women. And we can go back and see in the garden when he tempted the woman and she was deceived, Eve, and she ate of the fruit. And I was, as I was reading that passage, I kind of believe I pinpointed where this festering of hatred of the woman came for. When Eve ate of the fruit and got into the garden after Adam and Eve had clo had clothed themselves because they came into realization that they were naked, God asked Adam and Eve what happened. He asked specifically, asked the woman what happened. So Eve replied and said, I was deceived. The serpent deceived me and I ate of the fruit. 
sometimes when we make mistakes, sometimes when we make mistakes, the shame, right, can get to us, which is why we see Adam and Eve, the first thing they do is hide from God. Um, But what I found was so profound, and this is why you really have to pay attention to detail in the Bible. God asked Eve what happened, but then he turned around and he cursed the serpent first. So we know that the war in heaven by this point has most likely already happened. But then the curse, the specifically where God tells the serpent of his fate to come. He doesn't reprimand Eve first. He only asks, he only asks her a question. And then when he learns of what happens, but of course we know that God already knew he turns to the turns to the serpent and then tells him of his tragic end of his fate of what will be to come and in that prophetic word and what in that curse that he tells the serpent that he has that he is now um and mercy to is in Genesis 3 and 15 he tells the serpent after this man after this serpent after the enemy Satan whatever after he has tempted this woman and he has successfully deceived her you can almost imagine the arrogance and the pride and the ego of the enemy is on a thousand right now but to turn around and be crushed by the prophetic word of the Lord to tell him that he is going to be cursed And then, and if that's not enough, in Genesis 3 and 15, it says that God told the serpent, I am, since you have deceived this woman, which it doesn't necessarily say in the Bible, but I'm just laying as like a foreground. You have deceived this woman and now humanity has fallen, but I am going to put enmity or hostility in between you and the woman and her offspring will crush or bruise your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head, which is the first prophetic word we see in the Bible concerning humankind or concerning a person at least. And here it is, God telling the serpent, you've deceived this woman, but there will be another woman who comes and she will give birth and out of her womb will crush your head. Out of the womb of a woman will the devil's head be crushed. And so I believe that this is by way of prophetic revelation, that this is where the hatred and the hostility of Satan began to manifest against the woman. And of course, when we talk about the woman, I do want to give a sneak peek to the revelation 12 woman um because we know the woman later would be mary the the what some people call her the virgin mary um but moreover mary the mother of jesus but also in the bible there are multiple times in isaiah and once again in revelation 12 which we'll get to where the body of christ where israel or mount zion all three of the same thing um are referred to as a woman giving birth And so not only is this a prophetic word that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is going to crush your head through her, through her, uh, your head is going to be crushed through her womb. But also there will be another woman, a.k.a. the church, a.k.a. the body of Christ, uh, who is going to crush your head, which is why the gates of hell cannot prevail against the body of Christ. Okay, we laid that down. Great. Um, And then I also want to talk about when he did turn around and he did tell eve of her fate um or the consequences of her actions genesis um in genesis it says 3 and 16 um it 
tells her that she would bear pain from childbearing and that her desire would be toward her husband and that he would rule over her. So now some people may say, well, wasn't that, isn't that technically saying that God is the originator of misogyny? No, because you have to understand that in the spirit realm, there are laws. And once you break those laws, you are subjected to, or I should say this, um, we all reap and then we sow. So whatever you have put in the ground, um, because the spirit realm is more real than the natural realm, whatever you put into the ground, whatever you do in the natural happens in the spirit realm and whatever you reap in the spirit realm, you have to, you, it's going to come back some way, shape or form. And so a lot of people look at that verse where it says you, your desire will be towards thy husband and you will rule over you. They think that it's God's way of saying, oh, you, um, that God implements this structure. I don't believe that necessarily it's God implementing this toxic patriarchy, uh, structure, though we know that God did ordain the man to be the head of the household. What happens is, is God is telling Eve that because Sin has now entered the world. Remember, the world is now a fallen place. Humanity has now fallen. Man and woman is now fallen. It's instead of my plan coming to pass of man and woman existing in harmony together to worship me and to be in alignment with me, now what's going to happen is the man and the woman are going to be in conflict with each other. One thing sin does, sin brings discord. Um, that's why you have a spirit of division. Uh, because now the man and the woman are defi- are divided instead of being united and in harmony the way God originally had attended because death and sin has been brought into the earth. Which Another thing you have to pay attention to is that this verse is right after he tells the serpent, um, he reprimands the serpent and tells him of the cur- uh, of his curse. So because, and which is another indication to let you know that because you have been deceived by the enemy and the enemy has through you now brought sin and death and discord into the world, you are now, you have now been taken off your rightful place, places as both man and woman. And so now there's going to forever be a power struggle, a conflict, which is exactly what the enemy wants between the two genders. And it's going to last and eventually, and men are always going to be wanting to assert their control over women. And women are always going to be wrestling from the control of men. So this is not a curse that's necessarily mandated um, by God, but it is a direct consequences, a direct consequence um, reaping what has now been sowed into the earth that Eve will experience and that we are now experiencing because we see that the whole gender world wars thing um, is bigger than ever right now, right? You, you, we see the hot girl versus hot boys, city girls for city boys. Um, and it's funny. We don't think that it's necessarily that serious, but when you really examine the state of the two genders, we are really at war with each other. It seems like when you get on Twitter, when you look on TV, wherever it is. Um, and so also what is so powerful, if you go right back before that, um, the enemy predicted sin and death. He knew that if he could deceive Eve, he could bring 
corruption into the earth. But he did not anticipate, he did not anticipate himself being cursed. And this is why the enemy wages war against the woman. And this is why to this day he's waging war, misogyny against the woman. The hatred of the woman started in the garden after the fall. So as of course we examine Eve and our Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, will you say, well, where else do we see misogyny in the Bible? And I know a lot of scholars and a lot of theologians, child, what am I trying to say? Theologians say things um, like, oh, well, Christianity is a misogynistic religion and um, the Bible is full of misogyny and so forth. And they paint God out to be like, very woman-hating, which is like the total opposite of who he is. Um, but in reality, now there are events that are caused by misogyny. Um, and I also want to make it clear that misogyny is just like, oh, I hate you, you're a woman. Um, it, it, it comes in very subtle forms. It comes in disrespect of the woman. It comes in disregard to the woman. It comes in seeing women as disposable. It comes in as seeing women as simple objects, objectifying the woman. Um, it, it comes in not listening to women. Hey, come on, somebody. Because we all know that there are a lot of people, even other women, um, that are not good at listening to other women because they disregard their thoughts, their feelings, emotions, and their plans and their intent. And I also want to make something clear that misogyny is not something that's just perpetuated by men, but it is perpetuated by women. You, not you, but um, men often, we often as a society think that it's something that we only see on a man versus man, on a man versus woman type of thing. But oftentimes what you'll see, especially in the church, is that a lot of women hate their femininity. They hate the fact that they're a woman. They hate their gender. They hate who they are. And they project that by torturing, by abusing, and by internalizing this hatred for themselves onto other women. That's why all these girls who walk around here say, I don't, you know, I just, I don't like other females. Like, I just, mm, it's not really my thing. I don't really have girlfriends, da 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 Sis, you're probably a misogynist. Now, that's something we don't like to hear, but it is what it is. Sis, you are probably a misogynist. How are you a woman and you can't get along with no other woman in the world? Really? I have questions. Anywho. So, <clears throat> what does misogyny look like in an actual event? Um, and one of my first studies on this, when I really started getting into the topic, um, was the woman of was the woman by the name of Denai. Um, so Denai was one of the daughters of Jacob, uh, Jacob and Leah. Leah was his first wife, and so in her story, we see that she is actually raped. And that is in Genesis chapter 34. Um, and it says, And Denai, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And she went to Shechem, and she went to Shechem, wait, Shechem, the son of 
Hamer, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her. He took her and he lay with her and he defiled her, um, which means he defiled her, meaning he took her virginity. Um, he violated her. And his soul clave in unto deny the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly of the dams unto the damsel. Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. And by the way, I'm skipping down. Um, so I read one through three, and now I am um, down to five. Now his sons were with now were with his cattle in the field, and Jacob held his peace until they were to come. And Hammer, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out to the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he had wrought folly in Israel and lying in Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not to be done. So, to sum it up, deny the daughter of Jacob and Leah is raped. Her brothers overhear what's happening. And so listen to how disgusting and prideful and egotistical now this Prince uh, Shechem guy is. So he rapes a woman and then has the nerve to talk about, oh girl, I love you. I want to marry you. Dad, go get her for me. Are you sick? Are you dumb? Is it? Pause. I have the perfect sound effect. I have the absolute perfect sound effect. Because I truly just need to know. Are you on crack? Is that what you smoke? Is it crack? Is it? So, uh, to make a long story short, the brothers of Deny, actually, they plan an, they plan an entire thing um, in order to trick the, the prince um, and eventually what happened basically just to let y'all know what happened is they went in his kingdom the prince yeah and they killed him and they killed everybody in there and god allowed it um so that should tell you how god feels about the violation of women's bodies okay i just want to get that out there now and i just want to put a little disclaimer that you have no right to another person's body and more specifically because we are talking about misogyny you have no right to a woman's body there is nothing in this earth that makes it okay for you to take advantage of a woman to violate her space to violate her sexually you keep your hands to yourself i'm telling people and we have seen so many uncovering of like sexual stuff in the media within the within the you know the a few days or whatever we on Twitter and social media. And I have truly been grieved. God has taken people out because they touched his daughters. There's a verse in the Bible that says, if you touch a damsel, if you violate her, if you defile her, you ought to take a cinder block and tie it around your neck and throw yourself in the sea. You have no business putting your hands on women. You have no business raping them. You have no business. If she says no, if she looks uncomfortable, if she's tense, if, if she's drunk, if she can't properly consent, don't you dare touch her. It is sick. And God has empty clip into Negroes. Empty clip into people. Empty clips into whole entire kingdoms because they defiled one of his daughters. <clears throat> For the long. So in this story, we see the objectification of deny. The fact that a man can defile her, can rape a woman, and then have the nerve, literally the audacity, to go and ask for her hand in marriage. 
as if though now she's belonging to him because he has violated her. He now is granted or given some permission or some ownership unto her. And this is one of the acts we see of misogyny. And so you would think, and so on the surface level, someone with no common sense may say, well, he likes her, you know, he, he loved her. He spoke kindly of her, but like I, it goes back to that point of hating women. Doesn't always look like, oh, I hate women. I just want to kill all women. But it's also believing that you have some ownership um, of a woman as if though she is some object. When you do not look and see a woman as a daughter of God, but you see her as something to be owned, you are perpetuating toxic masculinity. You're perpetuating misogyny and you're perpetuating this this system of patriarchy that does not seek to improve help um or value the life of woman, but seeks to negate it in order to puff out its own life, its own strengths, its own wants and desires. And then also I want to take a look at Genesis 30, uh, not Genesis, uh, but Judges 19. And I want to talk about the Levites concubine. And again, I'm going to try to... um, Paraphrase as much as possible. Um, so we have a man. He was a Levite. Um, and we're going to go down to 16. Behold, there was an old man who was coming out of the field from his work at evening. He was from the hill country of Ephraim, but was staying in Gibeah. And the men of the place were sons, descendants of Benjamin. When he looked up, he saw the traveler and his companions in the city square. And the old man said, where are you going and where do you come from? The Levite replied, we are passing through Bethlehem in the territory of Judah, in the territory of Judah, to the most remote, most remote, remote part of the hill country of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem. Yet we both have straw and feed for our donkeys and also bread and wine and for your handmaid and for the young man who is with your servant. There's no lack of anything. Then the old man said, peace be to you. Only leave all your needs to me and do not spend the night open in the square. So while they were celebrating, behold, men of the city, certain worthless and evil men surrounded the house, pounding on the door. And they spoke to the master of this house, who was the old man, saying, bring out the man who came to your house that we may have relations with him. Uh, so in the city, the men were... Uh, very sexually corrupt, um, not just the men, but the city itself um, was full of pride and they were an immoral place. And so they're asking the old man, hey, bring out that man because we trying to uh, see what that mouth do. Very disgusting. Um, then the man, the master out of the house went out and said, no, my fellow citizens, please do not act so wickedly, wickedly, since this man has come to my house as my guest, do not commit, commit this sacri this sacrilege, relige, sacrilege, child, do not commit this nasty stuff. But then the, but then the men would not listen to him. So the man took the Levite's concubine, who is. A wife or some sort of mistress or female companion of the Levite man who was visiting the town. He took her, he took the concubine and he brought her, her outside to them. And they had relations with her and abused her 
all night until morning. And when the daybreak came, they let her go. So they abused, they raped this woman all night long. And this is a group of men. So all these men gang raped her. They abused her. And at daybreak, the woman came and collapsed at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was fully light. When her master got up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went on to go to went out to go on his way, he saw his concubine lying at the door of the house and her hands were on the threshold. He said to her, get up and let us go. But there was no answer. Then he put her body on the donkey and the man left and went home. When he arrived at his house, um, okay, child, oh, we don't gotta read that part. Anyways, so as we see here, um, the old man, instead of giving him the man, he took the Levite, the Levite's concubine, and he gave her to a group of men. He knew that he knew they were going to rape her. Knew they were going to rape her. Knowing their intentions and he still gave her over to the crowd and they abused her and they did all of the things. Um, and I am so sorry, by the way, I, I, I so sorry. I put a trigger warning. Um, I'm going to put a trigger warning in in the notes um, or in the description of the episode. Uh, but he abused this woman all night long. They abused this group of men. Abused her all night long. So one, they're trash for raping her. Two, this man who knew exactly what they would do to her is triple trash. And once again, we see this hatred of women manifesting in a way which shows disregard for a woman. That it is better to abuse, to allow this woman to be abused and to be raped than it is to allow this man to be so. I mean, of course, it, it would have been disgusting either way. And then... Um, just the way he said, get up and let us go. One, you would think that a master, uh, the old man of the house and understand and understand something during this time you had to have women like had to have permission. So it wasn't like he could have just walked in the room, grabbed her and took her out the bedroom. So you have to understand there had to have been some sort that the Levite himself had to have some type of knowledge of what was happening or what was going on. Because like I said, in those times, it was very different. You couldn't just take a man's woman and that that was unheard of. And so for her to be lying, dead, raped, abused. And most likely mutilated and tortured in various ways. And he says to her, get up and let's go. With no disregard to what could have possibly just taken place. She was beaten and abused until she was dead. This is the disregard for women that we see every single day. And this does not just happen back in the times of the Levite men, of the the times of this Levite man. We see stories like this all the time. How many stories have you seen? Um, Actually, I'll, I'll say her name. Uh, Kavana Flanoy, a woman who is currently serving 25 
years. Um, she goes on a date with his man, uh, with a man. He takes her back to his apartment and he attempts to rape her and she defends herself by shooting him and he dies. And she's the one who's doing prison time. But how many times have we seen the disregard for women, not just by men, but by an entire system? Um, we see in the in, in the case of Carvana Flanoy that this woman, uh, and by the way, a psychiatrist and a therapist, I believe, actually did an evaluation and determined that she had PTSD because this girl had actually been raped before in her childhood. And they determined that she had PTSD. Do the courts care? Do they take that in consideration? No. And it, what's even worse is that it was a racist county. It was a black woman. And so therefore, we see how, once again, history consistently perpetuates this violence, this physical violence whoop, against women. Against, and more specifically, I really want to have a conversation against black women, against women of color, but specifically against black women. And then therefore, after we have been traumatized by the actual physical violence, the insidious nature of being abused, of being disregarded, of being objectified, we therefore have to go through the violence of being silenced, of being shut down and having been left for dead. And it stinks in the nostrils of God. God hates it. God absolutely hates it. Um, and <clears throat> when you look at statistics of family abuse, of sexual abuse, um... I do want to point out something because I know that I have an audience of black men. And like I said, I specifically want to talk about black men right now, black women right now, black men. We know we understand if you can understand racism, you should be able to understand sexism, your gender, your privilege cannot come before your beliefs or your morals. If you can understand how oppression is systematic is a systematic influence, um, then you should be able to understand how sexism is as well. And I heard men give me these stupid arguments like, well, women, you have you have the excuse my language, which, you know, you have. Well, I'm not going to say it. You have the private part. You got the power. What Negro? What? And it doesn't matter because what I have, what body part I have on me. It doesn't matter if someone can take it and not be held accountable. Um, and even as a... So going back to that whole thing of, um, like I said, when you look at statistics of rape, of sexual abuse and family abuse, um, race transcendent, regardless of race, um, transcendent of race. The main perpetuators are men. This is not a, I hate men. Men suck. Men are trash. But if you can understand why some black people say, 
all white men are evil, then you should be able to understand why women feel strongly that men are trash. This is not something um, that, oh, I'm bitter about my ex, my ex this, my ex that, or a guy, or I pick trash men. No, some women have literally been terrorized by men all of their lives, from their childhoods to their adolescent years, to when it comes time to date, and to after that, experiencing the effects of misogyny, of being hated on their jobs, in their workplaces, in their careers, when they get to the hospital, black women, black women, do you know how how black the 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 rate black women black women are nearly nine times more likely to die in the hospital when giving birth than any other race of women. This thing is not just instances or events. This thing has permeated into institutions, into systems. Why? Because if we can understand that racism is a demonic principality, then you can understand that sexism is too. It's the same principle. The enemy. Hey, okay, I'm not going to get that far. We're going to let that wait. But even as it relates to the Levites concubine, black women, and like I said, and this is not me forgetting about the pain of other women especially other women of color not at all because i understand but i'm just saying because i'm a black woman in america and so i can specifically speak to my experience but black women are forced to take the heat we're forced to we we no one else will so we have to stand on the front lines whether it's by choice or by force the Levi's concubine had to with had had to go through being raped, mutilated, tortured, and abused all night long in place of the man which she was with to protect him, the man, and she ended up dying. How many black women do you know? And let's talk. Let's take this thing generational lineage. Because it's there. How many of us black women, how many have we been bearing, have we been covering up the secrets um, of pedophiles and sexual and sex offenders? How many of us black women have been uh, taking the pain and abuse uh, in, in relationships and marriages? How many of us have been covering up and protecting uh, deadbeat sons and uncles? How many of us have literally been been carrying the angst and the pain of generational trauma behind the men that we love? And literally, and and let me tell you something. Things like pain, things like bitterness, things like unforgiveness, things like abuse, I'm telling you, they manifest in the body. How many, how many black women did you know that she may have died of a certain diagnosis, but she really died of grief? How how many of our big mamas died after being alone? How many of our grandmothers and our grandgrands and our nannies, how many of them died feeling the bitter effects of bearing burdens of their families? How many black women have died because they had to suffer in place of love? And so I pointed out how um, misogyny was not just a so more candidly I want to talk about misogyny in the church um, 
so because I don't want this episode to be super long, I'm going to try to break this down. Um, in our churches, I grew up in an apostolic church. I know anyone who grew up in like really strict evangelical churches or really strict old time Baptist churches. Um, I mean, not to say everyone's experience is the same, but I've talked to a lot of Christians, a lot of believers in my time of life. And a lot of us have the same similar experiences. We grew up in church churches where there were men who instead of were leaders and good shepherds were more like tyrants um, and their egos controlled how they led uh, rather than the voice of God leading them on how they led. So I grew up in an apostolic church um, and in the apostolic church I grew up in or more so just, you know, the churches that and the preachers that I have seen come up. It is normal to call women sluts, hoes, and whores through the pulpit. It is also normal to sit women down for getting pregnant and then go right after service um, and give and hug and thank deacons with 62 kids by 75 and a half different women. Uh, give him his give him thanks and gratitude uh, for his service in the church. I have seen female preachers have to literally strip themselves of their femininity. And this goes back to this whole internalized thing, have to feel like they can't wear heels in the pulpit. They can't wear makeup. They can't be beautiful. They can't beautify themselves. They can't feel good about the way they look and embrace their femininity. Because they have taught that something about their femininity makes them lesser than their male peers or fellow male preachers. That something about them, about being a woman, um, isn't exactly appealing um, or doesn't exactly go well with the call um, to preach or to any fivefold ministry for that matter. And a lot of times, a lot of these men, those tyrants, who call themselves leaders, uh, those misogynistic tyrants, what they do is they refer to <clears throat> certain passages, especially in 1 Timothy and in 1 Corinthians. Um, so, I mean, you know, let's be candid. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, as he's talking to the church, he says women, he tells women to be silent, um, that they are not to speak during church assemblies that if they and that if they have questions they are to go home and ask their husbands um and in timothy it also basically says you know wives be in submission to your husbands first things first i want to say consider context both churches that paul and timothy were talking to um they were specifically talking to the women of that church and the issue they were addressing specifically. Why? How do we know this? Or how can we infer this? Because just in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, a few chapters before, was it, what, what was that? Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians? Paul talks about the daughters preaching and prophesying, and he don't have a problem with it. But now he's telling the women, okay, y'all got to sit down. Um, he actually addresses three groups, those who can speak in tongues, um, prophets, and women. Um, and he was speaking to and addressing certain problems, specific problems to that church. Um, those were not orders. <clears throat> those who have exegeted the text correctly. And like I said, taken into context, the setting, what church he was talking to were not, Paul was not speaking to all women. Um, because like I said, 
just a few chapters ahead, he acknowledged um, the women um, who were prophesying and who were preaching. And not only that, but there's a woman mentioned in the Bible, mentioned in the New Testament. Her name is Junia and says that she was noted among the apostles, which means that she was an apostle herself, a woman apostle, um, which gives you some inference that she was among Paul, that Paul knew who she was. Peter knew who she was. Timothy uh, probably knew who she was. And if they could walk and be a mo- and have a woman, a woman among them, I'm pretty sure they had no problem um, wanting women um, in other settings. Um, but like I said, when you exegete the text, you have to take it into context. You have to think about who the apostle or who the writer, who is he talking to? Who is he talking about? Um, And I say that because we can't say that, oh, Paul was meaning all women in church and for the generations to come because there's too much other biblical evidence that suggests uh, that women preachers and women in high authority have always been a thing and there's never been a problem. Deborah. Deborah was a judge of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, judges of Israel were people who gave advice, who were military strategists, who were prophets, most of them prophets and apostles. Um, they get, Well, apostles weren't formed yet, um, but they were prophets, but they may have been apostolic in function. Um, they gave orders, they gave rebukes, they gave instructions um, given to them by God, of course, to Israel. Um, and so if a woman can be judge, a woman can be preacher. Queen Esther, for example, Queen Esther was a queen. Um, and God used her to deliver the Jews, um, basically child from genocide. So, and then even we look at the ministry of Jesus, the Bible tells us that women, were the ones who funded, um, who, who gave and who followed, um, and funded and followed the ministry of Jesus closely. And even if you look at when Jesus has died, the first evangelist is Mary Magdalene, because when she goes to visit her and other women go to visit the tomb of Jesus to lay down herbs and things like that, an angel says, um, not an angel, but Jesus actually appears to them. They were the first people to see Jesus and what they did. And what Jesus said was, Hey y'all, how y'all doing? Um, yeah, I'm back. Go tell everybody, spread the good news. And what did they go do? They went and spread the good news. Um, what does the evangelist do? Goes and preaches and spreads the good news. Women were the first evangelists. Um, it also brings me to another point. Last episode, we talked about justice. Anytime there was a work, hey, of justice, there was always a woman present. And if she isn't present right then, then she has been present to tell the story. She has been present to be the forerunner of the news. When you look at Deborah, once again, going back to her, she orchestrated the military strategy to take down Sisera. And she told Barack, Barack was um, a part of the military of Israel at the time, and he told Oh, Deborah, I'm scared. Um, you know, I don't really want to do this all like that. And Deborah's like, I mean, okay, but you're not going to get the credit for this victory. It will be a woman. And so most people, when reading that part, they think that it's going to be Deborah who is going to 
obtain the victory for Israel. However, what happens is Sisera goes and he escapes battle. And then there's a woman by the name of Jael who leads him into her tent. She lets him fall asleep. She goes and gets some, get him some food. And as soon as that Negro falls asleep, child, she grabs a sword and she cuts his head off, empties the clip. Okay. Like, So we see that God many times throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament has used women in thing in um seats of authority to carry out his will. Anytime justice is needed, there is a need for women and I put that on one of my flyers because we rarely see even going back to Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Um I, and in the last episode I also talked about how Jesus' death was an act, was a work of justice or divine reversal. Um, women are always a play, a part of the plan of justice. Always, you want there. There's rarely any. There's rarely a time um, where you see justice um, served or you see a plan or a purpose of God come to fruition, and a woman has not had her hand in part of it, some way, shape, or form. Once is going back. Why? why misogyny is so satanic why it's so demonic uh, because women the need the god's use of women is the very opposite of satan's plan and intent for the woman he hates women because he knows anytime there's a work of justice there's going to be a woman huh it was the woman oh i feel my help coming on it was a woman at the beginning who gave birth to the man that thwarted the entire kingdom of hell and it was a woman who was the first to tell the story about it so you see again we see that more we see more evidence as to why there why misogyny why the enemy is trying to devour the woman because something happens um whenever a woman walks onto the scene there is some type of dismantling of hell some type of giant has to fall some type of kingdom in hell the marine kingdom whatever it is has to fall when there comes a submitted daughter of god when a submitted and surrendered woman walks onto the scene and she is showing her purpose and identity something happens to where the enemy knows that his head is about to be crushed through the thing that that woman bursts out of her who so, <clears throat> with that being said, um, where was I at? Okay. That thing just kind of gripped me a little bit. Um, so which is why men in the church, they think that they're doing God a service or they're doing God a favor by telling women to sit up, to sit down and shut up and telling them you ought not to wear this. And they think they're doing some work of the Lord by calling them sluts and whores and putting all these identities on them that God never put on women himself. But in reality, a lot of these preachers, pastors, apostles, and whoever else who are really, like I said, misogynistic tyrants, what they are, are really vessels of the plan of Satan for the woman and for that God is going to deal a portion of justice to those men because anytime you are in an opposition to a woman holding authority anytime you are in an opposition to a woman having her own rights whenever you are in opposition to a woman having her her own mind whenever you and whenever you are in opposition to a woman carrying out the work and the duty of God you are in 
opposition to God himself. And the word of the Lord says that he scatters his enemies. Women have always been the forerunners of justice. Why? Because if we were created in the image specifically of the Holy Spirit, who came right after Jesus had done the ultimate work of justice, then that must then that must mean that women are also the aftercoming. Women are the proof of a justice happening, of a work happening of justice. It is impossible to serve God and hate women. Because if we are the proof, if we are the evidence of a work divinely reversed, a.k.a. justice, and you hate us, then that means you hate the very nature of God. Why? Because justice is the, op- is the way God operates, is who he is. He has made justice. He establishes it. So if you hate the woman, you hate justice. And if you hate justice, you hate God. <clears throat> And if you hate God, then you are the son of Satan. You are one of the, you are, you are not a son of you. Who? Who? Then you are no son of the kingdom of God, but you are son of its opposite. And that's Bible. It's not personal. It's the Bible. You got these preachers up here in this pulpit calling women all out their names and, and, and getting bucked with women and missionaries, but they won't get bucked with a deacon. And you have some women who have been so used and so abused and so terrorized by these men in the church that they hate themselves. And any other woman who is sure in her femininity, who is confident in her femininity, who is confident in who she is as a daughter, they hate her too. They hate themselves and they hate her. Look at Salome. Remember how mis- misogyny looks. It doesn't look like one thing. But this woman, she actually... She hated John the Baptist so much she wanted him dead. But she used her own child, her own daughter, sexually to persuade her husband, who was this who was his daughter's stepfather. And when he was sexually entranced by this woman's daughter, she used her to get what she wanted, which was the killing of John the Baptist. So I just paraphrase that whole story. But what I'm trying to tell you is that another a woman's anytime a woman disregards another woman, then it is a direct reflection of what she disregards in herself. If a woman can look at her daughter and not see her in, in the in the personhood of her womanhood and freely give her over and use her for evil, then that is a projection of how that woman feels about herself. And we have so many women in the church today. We have so many women stand and that's right and I know we have a lot of preachers a lot of big time preachers who love getting in these pulpits and telling women they look like hoes you are a hoe you all are a whore let me tell you something you tell you if you call God's daughters anything than what they are my God it's a lot of times what we see is a lot of these same men who get up in these pulpits and a lot of these same women who get up in these pulpits and call women out of their name have quite a few skeletons hanging around themselves. I've rarely seen a pastor who did who didn't preach again who didn't preach against women not have about four five six seven different baby mamas who wasn't around running around whoring with the whole entire church. Anytime, anytime, you oppose the presence of a woman, especially and I'm talking about women who have been submitted and surrendered to God. 
That's all I'm going to say on that. You're smoking crack. You are not of God. You are of Satan. And so this brings me to my next point. So because we have these tyrannical leaders in the church um, who have since been wanting to silence women and who have been deceived themselves, um, God has intended for a lot of these men to be powerful generals. And some of them are. Um, But because they have allowed their own pride, their own deception and their own arrogance um, to be the lead on how they lead the body of Christ, God is removing and he's expiring the rule of a lot of these men. And the guard is changing. What does that mean, Shay? Um, The guard in the Bible, if you look at the Old Testament, uh, the guard were watchmen over the church um, who upheld the standards, who were the generals of the church, um, who were the gatekeepers of the church, of the body of Christ. And what God is doing is he's taking it down. A lot of these misogynistic men, you call pastors, you call leaders, you call apostle, and you call bishop. And what's going to happen where their spots were vacated, God is going to put in the place those same daughters they tried to silence. And that is the word of the Lord in this day of justice, where the revival is justice. God is calling forth the daughters. God is calling forth daughters to prophesy. He's calling forth daughters to pray. He's calling for daughters to lay hands. The daughters are going to raise up armies in the name of the Lord. And they are going to thwart the plans of the enemy. In Revelation 12, there is a woman who is representation um, of the church, of the body of Christ. But also, I believe that the Bible also, um, even if it's written in Revelation, it's for the future. Um, No matter what context it's written in, it's, it's always relevant to our current day. And so Revelation chapter 12 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon beneath her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was with child, the Messiah. And she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. So this woman is symbolic of the church, but she's also symbolic of Mary. Um, and Mary and herself, her story is a foreshadowing of the church. And then I'm going to go down. Um, to five. Oh no, I'll read three. Um, then another sign of warning was seen in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, Satan, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven royal crowns, and his tail swept across the sky and dragged away a third of the stars of heaven and flung them to earth, and the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth he might devour her child. So here we see that there's something powerful, and once again, this can be used in present day, what the what was inside of the womb of the woman? Go back to Genesis three and fifteen. He was actually ready to devour it, but it came out, and she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was destined to rule all of the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in His throne. The woman fled to the wilderness where she had put, where she had a place prepared by God, so that she would be nourished there for a thousand two hundred and sixty days. Don't get caught up in the number, child. Um, but going back down 
to verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. What is this? This is further evidence that any work of justice is first born somewhere. A woman has her hand in it. God uses a woman somewhere. And so we see that the enemy is chasing, begins to chase down the woman. I'm just going to paraphrase that he actually begins to chase the woman but the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness where she was nourished away from the presence of the serpent and the serpent hurled water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he may cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river, which the dragon had hurled out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went off to wage war on the rest of her children. So we are living in a day and in a time and we have been where the enemy has been trying to wage a war against women. The enemy is trying to devour women he is trying to make women hate their femininity and he is literally trying to make women feel the burden that god did not give them for their womanhood but we rebuke the devil and we say that the daughters will prophesy and the daughters will be given eagle wings wings like eagles to rest and be nourished in the wilderness so what we see here again is that misogyny is a direct is a direct influence and it comes nothing but from Satan. It is how Satan operates by in by in way to hate women. It's why our mothers, we have seen lineage after lineage of our women, of our mothers and of our grandmothers be slaved and be bondaged, hey, be bondaged to suffering and that we have to call it love to make ourselves feel better about it. But there is a God who loves women, who loves the daughters and that you don't have to suffer to get his love and there is a plan and a purpose that has God has set before women in order for them that they don't have to experience love they don't have to experience success now yes we know that we suffer a little while for the glory of God but this suffering is not the same one that the enemy is trying to inflict and that we have experienced for generations this is not the same burden but God is endowing the daughters with power and with authority because anytime time that there is a revival of justice there has to be a woman present because what the woman gives birth to bruises the heel of the enemy and anytime there is a work of justice here comes that slew-footed serpent ready to thwart the plan but God has given woman something in her whoo God has given something to the woman which is in her stomach that she must give birth to a death destiny or purpose that directly stands in opposition to the Satan, to to the serpent. And then it takes his foot and it puts it on the devil's head, hey, to defeat him. So you have to understand that misogyny is a very strategic way of Satan in order to stop the daughters. But we are more than conquerors. And I want to exhort black women, especially you for a while. I want to exhort women, but I especially want to exhort 
exhort black women because I feel the grief. I feel the grief of our womanhood. I feel the grief of what it's like to feel like you are bound by the social problems of your race and your gender. What it's like to hate your femininity because it feels like your femininity is slavery rather than a good thing um because the bible tells us that when a woman when a wife is found um a good thing is found but it does not always feel like that but in a time god is calling forth justice and every leader every elder every deacon everyone who has set their cell set themselves like satan in opposition to the daughters will have to face justice like i said justice for some of us means and so because the next revival is coming, because there are earth pangs in the earth, God is anointing the daughters to wake up, to rise up, and to take their rightful places of authority. You are a daughter and you are here for a divine purpose on the earth. You are here. You are more than a conqueror. Earth and creation does groan out the names of the daughters. God does hear and God does see the tears of the abuse of the daughter for every daughter, for every woman, that every leader, preacher, bishop, and whoever else has spilled on the ground because they have cut them, because they have betrayed them, because they have mislabeled them, because they have misguided them, because they have raped and abused and put their hands where it does not belong. The blood, the, the cries of the blood cries out to God. God and God is very capable of hearing and in this next move of justice the daughters are getting justice hey every man who calls himself a pastor who calls himself a shepherd who calls himself a leader in the body of Christ and every woman who calls herself a leader but instead has chosen to hate her own femininity and therefore compromise that of another woman will have to come to a time where where their legs are broken and their backs are broken and their rule expires. So I say to every woman under the sound in my voice, let you wake up, let every gift, let every call, let every destiny, let every talent be woken up in the name of Jesus. So I pray that the endurance that the stamina and of every woman be made strong. You are going to see the justice of the Lord because everyone who has tried to muzzle you for every time Jezebel has tried to close the mouth of the prophetess for every time every leader tried to, uh, to, to mislabel you, God is bringing down their rule. And in a time you are more important than ever. Do not let anyone think that your only purpose in this life is to fight and be slaved to other men. Don't you let anyone think that your only purpose in life is to be in bondage for the destiny and the purpose of another of another man or of another tyrannical woman who hates her own fem femininity. Don't you ever think that you are not good enough because God is hearing and he's listening to the daughters huh? and literally 
as the cries of the daughters go up towards heaven, there is a happening where the angels are dispatching on your behalf. Best believe that in this time, because women are and because women are an intentional detail to revival and to justice. Every church that has committed itself to be in opposition of the woman will not prosper in this time of justice. This is a prophetic word. You ought to start telling your pastors, your bishops, and your leaders to repent. Because in this time, if you are not in line with God, and at this time it is in God's heart and it is on God's mind to see the daughters arise. So therefore, if you are in opposition to the mind of God, you will flee seven ways as God has made his enemies flee seven ways and you will not take part in this next harvest you will not take part and reap divine uh, divine justice you will not reap and take part and what God is planning and orchestrating for the church and the next movement if you are against the daughters you are against justice and if you are against justice then you are against heaven and if you are against heaven that means you're playing for the other side and if you're playing for the other side that means that the heavenly host, the military force of heaven is gunning towards you. So I suggest you come into alignment with the plan of God. And I suggest that every woman under the sound of my voice, do not hate your femininity, do not neglect the power that is in your womanhood you were designed in parallel to the holy spirit and like that old saying goes the holy ghost is so important that jesus had to leave for him to come you are teachers you are judges you are lawyers you are prophets apostles apostles evangelists you are most importantly you are a daughter of god and if god emptied a clip into uh, into a kingdom over deny he'll empty a clip for you don't you ever be confused huh, on which side god fights he fights on the one of justice and if it takes a woman for justice to be born the earth then that must mean that god is on the side of the woman and I say to every man that you have been giving a mandate and a charge especially black men to protect the woman to protect the woman she is a link whether she's a wife a friend a family member uh just a lay member at your church she is important to your destiny because she's important to god and she's important to the church there is something on the inside of her that is coming out that she is giving birth to that will change the trajectory of the earth it is up to you to not be like satan but to be like god when he looks like a woman when he looks at the woman not to see an object not to be something seen as something disposable not to see be seen as something that can be used and then thrown away but you should see a daughter before you see anything else and god doesn't play about his daughters and I even call forth anything, every industry, every sector, every church, 
every rule, every every kingdom, and every government that has tried to devour the woman. I call death to it. I call death to it because I call justice upon it. Let justice ring out in the earth on behalf of the daughters. Let justice ring out on the earth behalf of the forsaken woman. Let justice rung out in the earth on behalf of the forgotten sister. Justice is entering into the earth and everything that has been opposed to the woman will feel the almighty wrath of God as it pertains to justice because his daughters are important to him. I can't keep saying it enough and he doesn't play about them. If he was able to look, hey, I feel this for a woman. If he was able to look at Eve in her shame and in her deception and in her being the cause of uh, of literally sin entering into the earth uh, and still look at her and then turn around and look at what caused her to fall uh, and whew, and release the curse over it before he even reprimanded her, before he even um, gave her consequence or announced her consequences. God first looked at what hey at what made her fall and cursed it to the ground under her feet. Hey, if God was able to look at Eve and do that after this woman then ate a piece of fruit and, and caused a whole fall of humanity then he's able to look at you and whatever you've done and whatever you think that you are not good enough uh, uh, to do and in your shame and in your humiliation. And God will put the head of the serpent under your feet. And so every woman be encouraged and be exhorted. You are no slut. You are no whore. You are no hoe. You are not stupid. You are not less than. But you are a daughter. And greater is he in the daughters than he who is in the world. Death to misogyny and death to injustice. And so I thank you all for writing this out with me. I know that this episode is super long. Um, I hope that you guys still listen. (laughs) I hope that you guys have made it to the end of the episode. I love you all. Um, Once again, thank you just so much for riding out with me. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, we will talk later. Bye, guys, and God bless.